This is the Mornington Peninsula Regional Galleries Conversation Series, Episode 17. We are talking to 2018 National Works on Paper finalist, Catherine Hatton. Hello and welcome to the Mornington Peninsula Regional Galleries Conversation Series, a podcast for people curious about art and the lives of artists. In this episode, Senior Curator Danny Lacey talks to Melbourne artist Catherine Hatton, who has been a finalist in the National Works on Paper 11 times. Catherine talks about her two-stage process of making work, her repeating motif of the table covered in everyday objects, and why she is fascinated by the William Buckley story, featured in her 2018 National Works on Paper work. Well, thanks for joining us today, Catherine. Oh, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> I want to first ask you, what are some of the biggest influences on your work? I think they have changed over time. Like, I have been making work for a long time now, and I think there's been the whole visual and history of painting kind of influences, which I think probably originally were with people like Matisse, so often men. My father uh, was a big influence, I mean, in how to be an artist. And also, I actually still really get a lot of pleasure from his work about the beach and things and the minimalist sort of thing. But then there are people like Dale Hickey. So a lot of my early influences were male, like were pretty much all men, except Joy Hester, I think, which was more expressionist. But then I've become, I'd say on the whole, quite a lot less expressionist, which I think is a fairly common thing. Then Louise Bourgeois, more and more there have been women who've influenced me. Louise Bourgeois to start. Rose Wiley is a huge influence at the moment. But probably the two artists I'm most interested in at the moment are Philip Guston and Rose Wiley. And so I'm really, really not interested in realism. It's like I actually have a positive dislike of it in some way. So sometimes it gives me pleasure in other people's work, but I'm not interested in it. So those two are the main influences at the moment, like the really strong influences. But then the other influences for me are literature, because I, when I went to university, I studied literature and psychology, psychoanalysis, and those things have stayed with me. But then I think in this particular picture, it's one of the influences has been thinking about, well, particularly the story about William Buckley. Cool. How has your arts practice changed since you first started making work? I'd say in general, it's become kind of in a way less autobiographical, though in other ways more, but it's less expressionist, less autobiographical. But at the moment, it's kind of in a moment, in a way, turning back to that a little bit. And... How else has it changed? It's like, oh, well, I've moved more from... I still am making works on paper and drawing, but more... Well, then there was a whole introduction of colour, and then I have been making a lot more paintings. So that's been a kind of long, slow process, like very slow. I really just drew for 10 years, first 10 years. First just black and white and then gradually introduced colour. It's been a like, really ridiculously slow process. <laughs> Well, can you discuss your process of making work in the studio and how you go about that? I have two stages of making the work. Quite a lot of the work actually happens here on the kitchen table. The two separate... Well, they're not separate. They're like... When I'm making work, which isn't all the time, like there's times where I have to do other stuff and, you know, it's like... You know, I find it very kind of difficult to get started and then difficult to stop. So in the moment, I'm in the middle of making work, which is great. So I really enjoy that. So when I'm doing that, I do quite a lot of planning and thinking here on the kitchen table and quite a lot of drawing. 
and try out. But I don't really do a... Like, I have a lot of very rough sketches of what I might do. I keep thinking I should make them better, but I don't seem to do that. And then I also do quite a lot of the beginnings of a work on paper here, like laying down this grid. I quite often do that when I'm watching TV. I choose stuff that I'm not going to really watch. And then the paint bits happen out in the studio. So that's kind of... Uh, you know, I wouldn't be going out to the studio every day, but I do go out to the studio every day at the moment. It's like, I would like it to be all the time, but it's basically, the reality is it's not. There's certain months of the year where I wouldn't be doing it. I don't actually have any time where I'm not doing anything, I don't think. There might be the odd day, but it's like, at the moment it's kind of every day. And I used to work much more at night. I don't really do that much now. I do much more like about five hours during the day. And the process is the, the works on paper are gouache and charcoal and the paintings are on the whole oil paint and maybe a bit of acrylic like as a wash underneath. And there's a drawing in both sorts of work. It's like I think I'm kind of stuck with it because I started and drew only for so long. Um, and that's kind of how I think, I think. But actually a lot of drawings I don't really like, not my drawings, but other people's. It's like when I look at them, I think, hmm, I'm not so keen on drawing. I mean, the people who really interest me, like Rose Wiley and Philip Guston, they kind of draw and paint, but they're not like you don't go, wow, that's really um, technically amazing. I just look and I think that's brilliant, but some people hate them. Mm -hmm. I really enjoy the combination of figuration and abstraction within your work. Could you talk about how you bring these two elements together? I think that's pretty much intuitive or accidental, except in the sense where it's not intuitive, where I deliberately avoid realism, where I say, I can put that there, it doesn't really matter. So, I don't know, that's a weird thing. It's like where I just, I'm thinking about the composition, but um, I feel like it's okay to be flat. In fact, that's my natural thing. It's like someone said I'm a shadowless painter, and that's true, I don't, there's never any shadows. And I don't know that I can really explain that, except that I look, um, so another influence on me has been Nolan, has been a huge influence. And so I look at how, because I didn't go to art school till so late, a lot of my way of working something out was intuitive. And like I look at, say, like the picture behind you, that pattern down the sides, that is from a Nolan. So I would just look at something like that and go, oh, I love that wallpaper, and I'll make it into a curtain. I think it's just that like, I just really have no interest in realism, for me. I mean, it's OK, but it's not my... I'm actually quite interested. Like I do this daily drawing thing, though I don't do any. I look at it. I mean, I'm... I will do it one day, but I look at how people are kind of learning how to draw accurately and I think, that's actually amazing, but I have nil interest in doing that. And I think it's very hard to do something like what Rose Wiley does. And you look at it and you think, oh, that looks like really simple, but it's actually incredibly sophisticated mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. bold. And it's like, they're two different skills. Mm -hmm. Well, there's a real skill in making something look easy as well, or yeah. especially if people don't quite understand the process behind that's how true. Something is made. Yeah, I think that's true. That's really true. Yeah, and that's the same with Philip Guston, I think. Where you learn, and when it's where it's a kind of personal language too. Mm. That, that. And Nolan's the same kind of thing where you look at and, and I don't like all of any of those people's work, but I like a lot of it. Mm. I'd love to hear about the repeated motifs that you use within your work, especially the table covered in everyday objects, the coffee pot, scissors, books charging phones and laptops, paint tubes and reading glasses, just to name a few. 
This table appears in numerous works and offers a perspective into different locations far and wide. That's true, and, and it's been there for different reasons over time, because it's been there for a long time. You know, it's, I probably started that as a kind of way of the structure for a picture a long time ago, maybe 15 years ago or something. But at the moment, in the picture in the Mornington, I think he forgot how to speak English, is... I was thinking, like, how do I do this? I am really interested in the William Buckley story, but I don't want to try and pretend that I'm there, like to tell all that I'm him. Or... And so the table was a way of saying, this is from my perspective. I'm looking, you know, with a computer and a phone and all the things of contemporary life. And I also deliberately went looking for... Well, actually, things around the house have changed, and so I wanted to integrate them, like the Rose Hiscock vase the Japanese thing. So I do like doing that because it kind of gives more life to the picture. If I'm doing the same jug and things, I think, no, I like I want something that is more interesting to me. And then it comes across in the picture. And in that picture, most of the stuff is kind of new. Not all of it. I mean, the computer's still there. And, mm. and colour is a real defining element in your work. Do you have colours that you keep returning to? And can you discuss what colour means to you more broadly? Like I know you mentioned before that you primarily worked in black and white for the first 10 years. I was um, thinking of going back to black and white. <laughs> but I think the colour is... It's with me, it's like being a... For quite a while I had... I remember James Mollison saying to me, um, so I like the orange and pink, and I thought that's actually very impressive to have someone who's a director of an institution knowing what your palette is. And my palette was that for quite a long time. It was orange and pink. And then there was another... I would kind of choose between different blues or orange and pink. And then actually in my last show at Dancinger, I had a couple of pictures that were purple and green. And some people have said to me, no, I don't know that you should continue with that. And I think, oh, I quite like it. But it's like, that's often something where I'm kind of thinking I should get up in the morning and I think, oh, I'd like to try that green or something. And that kind of gets me going. So the colour is something I take a lot of pleasure in. And I do think about quite... I wouldn't call myself a colourist. Like, I don't think I really... You know, my son, Will McKinnon, says, oh, that one pushes back and that one pulls forward. And I think, oh, really? Like, I have no idea. I just kind of do it by... I don't have a colour theory kind of thing. It's more... Well, like, the blues are to do with, like, the book covers. They came out of something like that. It's more partly in making one picture, I think, about the next, and it's to do with the experience, and, but I don't really theorise about it. Mm. And the work, which is a finalist in the National Works on Paper exhibition, is called He Forgot How to Speak English. Can you talk a little bit more about this work and the ideas behind this yeah. painting? Yeah, I'd like to do that. I think about maybe two or maybe three years ago, I saw this painting about William Buckley at the Geelong Gallery by Jan Senbergs, and it's like this really rugged, you know, what he was, was like an escaped convict who lived amongst the Watharong tribe for 32 years and he did forget how to speak English and I think that's kind of interesting because there's been all this stuff about whether Indigenous should forget their language or like that kind of thing and I saw this and I thought that's such a male picture I mean I like the painting it's got you know this calm sea on one side because it's at the point where he's kind of leaving to go back into white society and I looked at it and I thought you know where's there's no represent. I mean, I, there's not just in his, in Jan's picture, but in a lot of this, the Juan de Vila where he draws him as a woman, which is kind of funny. And there's quite a few people have, well, and Geelong Gallery did that show, which I've had the catalogues. So I've been interested for really about three years, and I kept thinking, 
I'll do this in my next show. And then I kind of just found that I wanted to make that work and it just started to happen. So I've now kind of got into it before I meant to. But on the other hand, I've been thinking about it for a long time. But the things that I wanted to show in that picture, which I've kind of done a little bit too tentatively, is one I wanted to represent the Indigenous women, like, you know, that he did have apparently someone, you know, maybe had a child with... But he certainly was living... Mostly what people do, like what I'm saying about the Janssenbergs, is they represent the white. And I understand that. It's like, but I thought, no, I'm going to try and... So I've painted him pink as this kind of pink and red-haired man. And then I think there's just one Indigenous woman in that. And then, then the child. And they're blue as being... You know, so I just thought, I'm not going to do black and white. I'll do pink and blue. And I would like to do more of that. I'd like to be a bit bolder with that. But then I also think about that story has come out of my interest in feminism, which really started strongly in my first show with Jane Singer, which was called Re-Raising Consciousness. And I was thinking about, I didn't do consciousness raising and thinking about that. Then I did a show, TCB, called Consciousness Re-Raising. I don't remember how. One was consciousness raising, the next one was re-raising consciousness. And so the feminism bit is like where it's just presented as this white male figure, whereas there were all these Indigenous men and women, but he had a relationship, at least one relationship. And then also I thought, you know, how come when he left and then he gets married to a white woman, and I was thinking she must occasionally think, say, so what was it like those 32 years? You know, like there's no sense of what that would have been like for her. And also I actually love that coast and I know that coast. I've lived down there spent 20 years down there and so I know the whole and I've you know done a whole lot of looking around at the cave and all of that. With the cave, like I went down to Point Lonsdale and went and had a look at the cave and it's now got bars all over it and I put it on Instagram and Jared Rawlins, who's now at Mona, said, I know that cave, I used to play in there. And I said, but it had bars. He said, no, we should just climb over. <laughs> it was like, so it's sort of part of Victorian history too and I am belatedly thinking about that and also I am thinking about what I think at the moment is this whole like where it is possible to think about indigenous and white and not just feel like oh that's us and that's them kind of to try and think I mean it is this idea that he forgot how to speak English what about like the fact that all these people forgot how to speak their language for but it is pretty amazing too that he did forget how to speak English Mm, yeah definitely yeah now, you've been a finalist in the National Works on Paper an incredible 11 times. I do think that's kind of sad. <laughs> <laughs> no, but also you exhibited work in the Spring Festival of Drawing, which was the precursor to National Works on Paper. Your work has been acquired a couple of times through these exhibitions, which is great to know. What is it that draws you to this award at NPRG? I think what has drawn me to it is because it's works on paper, not just drawing. Like I went into one at Castlemaine once and they said it had to be black and white and it had to be pencil and charcoal. I like the fact that it's more contemporary than that. And I remember seeing the drawing exhibition at MoMA in New York and it was like so radical compared to, you know, there's a lot of very conservative drawing in Australia and the Mornington thing is not like that. It's got all sorts of stuff and it's relevant. So that's really what draws me to it. Mm. Yeah, and I think... This year's exhibition with 63 artists, it continues to push the boundaries of what a work on paper can be, which is a really great thing about that project. Yeah, Yeah. it's great. It's really Mm. good. And I just kind of 
seem to be stuck doing it, like I like doing it. I was in the Dobell about the same kind of amount of times. And I think this is actually a better exhibition than that. It's like it's got more, it's had some fantastic things in it. Yeah. So, and I've actually had, my last time I was in it was also William Buckley. It was like a drawing, uh, like a big black and white drawing. So that was the start of, so it's been something that's been, you know, like trying to, get out of me for quite a while and then in the end I kind of couldn't control it mm -hmm. so it's started yeah. and finally what advice would you give to artists just starting out I don't know I think I'd partly say get your money sorted don't rely on it like for for that but also I know you just have to really want to do it it's like I mean I had that with my son who I kept saying, I knew that he wanted to be an artist from when he was two, but he didn't really. And so it was like, but I never said do it. Like, I would not say it to anyone. You have to really want to do it. I think that's, and I think it's kind of nuts too. Well, thanks for joining us today, Catherine, and congratulations for being shortlisted as a finalist in the National Works on Paper. I'm really pleased with that. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for listening to episode 17 of our conversation series. Mornington Peninsula Regional Gallery is the region's major cultural facility and is supported by Mornington Peninsula Shire and other partners. Visit mprg.mornpen.vic.gov.au to find out about our latest exhibitions and events. Our 2018 podcast program is supported by the Gordon Darling Foundation. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode.